This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, If I can do it, you can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, it's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anakor, and on this episode, we'll be talking about the rise of animated video game adaptations featuring the well-spoken token. We will also be talking about the state of Google Stadia after one year, and then we'll talk about what a Sony acquisition of Crunchyroll could mean for the anime industry. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. Actually, before we get started, I just want to call out a few things. First, I apologize if my voice sounds like it's a lower pitch than it normally is in the first segment. I recorded this segment on Skype, which lowered the pitch of my audio, but not LJ's. I'll look into how I can get that fixed for future episodes. Second, the last two segments are unedited outside of filler words because I just didn't feel like editing those very long segments, so I apologize if you hear any audio issues. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, so welcome to our 19th episode of the Cells and Circuits podcast. I'm your host, Chibeze Anakor, and... For this segment, we're going to talk about the rise of animated video game adaptations, and I have a special guest with me for this segment. He is LJ from the Well-Spoken Token podcast. So, um, LJ, welcome to the show. Uh, (laughs) Hey there. What's going on, everybody? How you doing? What's going on, Chibiza? You feeling good today? I'm feeling great. Um, so, um, tell us a, a bit about your show and tell us a bit about yourself. Um, let the cells and circuits listeners 
know um, a bit more about you and your show. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, what's up, everybody? I am the well-spoken token. Uh, I also have a. I, I co-host this show with my brother. Uh, I am LJ Johnson. Uh, our show is based around nerdy culture uh, from the Black experience, so dealing with anime, tech, video games, that kind of thing, but all showing and sharing that kind of experience from the eyes and lens of a young Black American. Uh, it's a raunchy show, definitely NSFW, lots of curse words, the N-word is thrown around, so if you have sensitive ears, you're small children, you might not want to jump in that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but pretty much it. We're going into our second season of the show. Been running since uh, March of 2019. Uh, well, actually, a little bit before March of 2019. I'd call myself a COVID podcast, but it was like right before. I, I can't give COVID all the all the praise. <laughs> but yeah, man, that's pretty much me. That's uh, that's what the show is all about. We air on Wednesdays, so if anyone wants to check that out, we definitely have that there as well. Awesome. Thank you for that introduction to your show. And of course, if you want to listen to the Well-Spoken Token podcast, I will have links in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're on. And yeah, give it a listen. Um, it's a great show. So I highly recommend it. Oh, thanks. That's high praise coming from you, good sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so um, with with the introduction out of the way, let's get into the topic. So um, our topic is the rise of animated video game adaptations. And so um, brief history, um, we've definitely had a lot more um, animated video game adaptations. They're nothing new. Um, Mostly, um, they come in the form of anime, but we've also had some Western animation um, that's based on video games. So some anime examples include the Pokemon franchise, the Dot Hack franchise, the uh, Sonic the Hedgehog franchise, particularly Sonic X, um, and yes. then... Next to Sonic. <laughs> Sonic Underground was the best. I actually liked Sonic. And then, and then that that was going to be one of my um, examples for the Western animation side. So we have um, Sonic Underground and the Sonic Sat AM cartoons, um, and then we also have um, like the Super Mario Brothers um, show, um, and we had like Earthworm Jim back in the day. Um, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, though, so video game adaptations, especially in animated form, they're nothing new. Um, we've seen them before, but we're starting to see a bit more of an uptick in them now. Um, and, um, and I think the reason behind it is because Netflix's Castlevania was received so well yeah. that everybody or that sure. other anime companies and other, um, or just other companies in general want to get a piece of that pie. Um, do you agree with that, um, LJ? Oh, no, absolutely, man. I think that uh, once the dollar sign started ringing for Castlevania, the Netflix was just like, we'll buy anything. Give us this crappy Dragon's Dogma thing. Like, I love it. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Like, I, I think it's made, like, maybe it's because the, the technology is like caught up where it's like, oh, CGI is so easy to make. It's not so like expensive anymore. Like, we're not animating Aslan's, Aslan's freaking mane anymore. So like, it's cheaper. <laughs> like, and I think these IPs have been sitting around, right? Like these video yeah. games sitting around for so long. They're probably not that expensive. So like, they're, they're probably kicking, kicking every rock, turning every stone trying to get these things. <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. Um, there's there've definitely been a lot of um, dormant video game IPs that um, could definitely benefit from an animated adaptation, um, and we'll get to that later. Um, we will definitely get to that later, um, and so um, I just wanted to get into the. Um, or what shows and movies that I think, you know, had um, resulted because of um, Netflix's Castlevania success. Um, and so, like you had mentioned, LJ, earlier, uh, Dragon's Dogma, which, yeah, is not very good. <laughs> um, I do not recommend watching that show unless you want to have a drinking game. Um, you know, that's <laughs> definitely... <laughs> An anime where you can um, have a drinking game and you'd probably have a good time. Oh yeah, you're um, sloshed for sure. <laughs> yeah, you definitely gonna be in the ER after that. Um, and um, and then after that, um, I would say the world ends with you. Um, is also based on a video game that's coming to Funimation next year. Um, and then we have Shenmue, the animation, which is a Crunchyroll and Adult Swim uh, co-production um, that's coming out um, at some point. Um, I don't think there's a um, release date announced for that just yet. Um, and then we also have uh, a... Um, a direct-to-video movie that um, had came out months ago, which was um, Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge. Um, if you want to see Scorpion, like, do his Scorpion thing, like, rip people apart in full gory anime deliciousness, that is that is definitely what I would recommend. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, that one um, I still haven't seen yet, um, so I... Definitely need to watch it. Um, I don't know if I should rent it on uh, on like Google Play or something like that, or if I should just like wait till it comes to like HBO Max um, and watch it there. You know um, what? Probably not something. Uh, I wouldn't probably spend any money on it because the weird thing about it is, as good as it is, like you remember those old featurettes that used to come with video games, like the little, like it would be like a whole mini movie. It's like thirty minutes yep. or so. They would just yep. drop there for free because you bought the game that's kind of what it feels like because it's not like the most fleshed out story in the world like it, it follows scorpion but you already know like what's going on if you've played any of the games right um yeah and i mean it looks better than like any of the uh live action um <laughs> mortal kombat <laughs> movies um who I, I can't even remember just about any of the actors except for the guy that played Shang Tsung, and I can't even remember that guy's name. I I don't remember anybody from, <laughs> from any of those live <laughs> action Mortal Kombat movies. I thought he was Kevin just, for the longest time. <laughs> it's just 
those are like repressed memories in like <laughs> the furthest the furthest corners of my mind. <laughs> They're probably on streaming somewhere, but I just haven't bothered to um, go watch them again, and I probably won't do that. It's weird. Live action, live action adaptations of most video games don't come out that well. Like you remember the the John Leguizamo Mario Brothers movie? Yeah, not that good. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's not that good. Um, but. There actually have been a couple of video game-based live-action movies that have been um, well-received that came out recently. Um, you know, from earlier this year, we have Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, um, that was pretty well-received. That was after, like, all that outrage over the character model. Like, uh... <laughs> Yeah, that... I don't know what they were thinking. I think... They probably did that on purpose just to test it out. Get like, people yeah. just to get people talking about the movie. Um and then, you know, <laughs> it seemed to work. Right. <laughs> people people go were check outraged. It out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um and so um I'm glad that they at least um redesigned Sonic um for that movie. But also one that came out um about it. Almost a year before that, um, Detective Pikachu, um, yeah, I thought was pretty decent. Um, and I think it's on HBO Max right now, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you can definitely go check that out. I recommend it um, as a Pokemon fan. Um, I... I was excited about it as well. Like, I was like, look at a little light-skinned Justin, Justin Smith out here with the Pokemon. <laughs> That's great. Reverend for the Blacks out here. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and then, like, Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. <laughs> like, like whoever whoever's idea that was, like, deserves a raise because that was genius. Um, just having Pikachu as voiced by Deadpool. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's awesome. <laughs> and then like people oh go ahead oh uh, no I was it was a, another joke I like to riff like I don't mean to keep it <laughs> oh no you no you're good you good um but like like what I was saying was just yeah definitely go watch uh, Detective Pikachu it's an amazing um it's an amazing movie, or I shouldn't say amazing, but it's a pretty good movie. Um, you can bring it's a pretty good movie. Like, yeah, let, let me not let me not lie to you. <laughs> let me not say it's amazing. Nobody, like, nobody uh, for a critic these days. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but it's a pretty decent. Um, it's a pretty decent video game based movie, but like. Um, what are some of your favorite, um, video game based, um, adaptations, um, like anime, cartoons, you know? Okay. Well, I was a huge fan of, uh, Mega Man. Like I really enjoyed the Mega Man game. So when it came out with the, uh, the Mega Man animes, I, I watched them all, even the crappy 80 ones, the 80s ones. Uh, I really particularly liked uh, Mega Man, uh, was it GX, NX? Uh, what was NT it? NT Warrior, the S one that was on Kids WB. 
Yeah, because like I was really into, and I the weird thing about like Western, like I'm gonna go on a tangent. Western uh, adaptations is, is that like it, there's just a big commercial a lot of the times. Like it was just like yeah. it's like we want to sell these toys, we want to market to you kids. So like when NT came out and there was all these peripheries, I was like a small kid and I was like, heck yeah, I need all of it. I need the the SD cards that came with the freaking uh, like the fake Digivice. I was like, heck yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> oh man. I, that one, uh, Legend of Zelda. I actually enjoy laughing at the uh, the anime adaptation of that. That's one of those B movie things. I'm just like, I just put on when I'm like drinking <laughs> something just to have a good time. Uh, something good though. I was like, well, Castlevania. Like you can't, I can't like be mad at Castlevania. It was, it was, it was really good. Like, it was. With, you know, with that formula, I really thought I was like, okay, we're starting to get really good stuff coming out. Like I want. Uh, when that came out, I was like, oh, man, they could do this with the Elder Scrolls. They could do this with Metroid. Like, there's a lot of really good games that are just, like, itching to be animes. Yeah. Um, and um, it's pretty exciting to see, um, especially Netflix. Um, they're, I think they're the biggest um, investors in, like, video game-based um, animation, and I think that the uh, studio, or not the studio, but um, the person behind um, Castlevania, um, Adi Shankar, um, he's um, been tapped to produce another um, wow. video game based um, anime um, for, yeah. Um, I just can't remember for the life of me which franchise it is. I think it's Devil May Cry. I think. Yeah, I keep um, I, a list of uh, like uh, I keep seeing Devil May Cry coming up like as a as a possibility. Like because I've I've done some I'm a, I'm a big Devil May Cry fan, and when I heard that there's there might be something coming, there was already a, an anime, and it was it was like meh, it was all right. But uh, right. if it's the same guy that did Castlevania, that'd be incredible. Exactly. So, uh, a story. Yes. Like that just, um, that seems like it's itching to be, um, animated. And we've already had a Devil May Cry anime in the past, um, that I think is streaming on like Funimation right now. Um, so, you know, if you want to go watch that, um, go watch it. I haven't seen it yet. So, you know. (laughs) <laughs> so don't blame me if it's bad <laughs> <laughs> who knows like some people can love it some people can hate it that's the great thing about anime is that it's so wide ranged um weird thing uh this isn't actually video games <clears throat> but what do you think about like uh bakugan the fact that it's not like it's a cartoon based on a game like Yu-Gi-Oh and things like that but it doesn't necessarily fall into the like video game perfectly but it's a game based anime yeah, um, I mean, I watched Bakugan, um, back in the day, like in 2008, when it was on, uh, Cartoon Network, um, and, like, I was a middle schooler back then, so I didn't really mind it, um, all that much, but, um, like, yeah, it's pretty much just, like, a 30-minute commercial <laughs> of, <laughs> it's pretty much just, those types of anime, like, um, um, Bakugan, Beyblade, exactly, um, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and even Pokemon and Digimon, um, you know, like, let's call them what they are, like, they're basically 30-minute commercials, um, (laughs) 
But like, I mean, as a kid, I wasn't really complaining. Um, uh, but I mean, as an adult, you definitely see that for what it is. Um, and, um, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, definitely. Um, I watched, um, like the original Yu-Gi-Oh! Um, GX, um, 5Ds, and then I think I stopped okay. after 5Ds. I'm the same. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I stopped after 5Ds because Zexel. What, what is that? Uh, and then they have another one, uh, Reigns? Reigns, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then Arc Five as well. Uh, I haven't, I haven't seen that one either. Um, so I just, I stopped after Five Ds because then, like after that, it just, I don't know. I guess I kind of outgrew it at that point. Um, so I think they went left on the story. Like I think they stopped because, like, I, what I liked about Yu Gi Oh was that yes, it was an anime based on a, a card game, right? But like, it right. didn't steep itself in that commercial feeling like it wasn't like buy these cards buy these cards it was more so like you know watch these characters and you know the card game is a game like is a, a tool essentially it, it didn't right. seem it was like it's the major focus of the show but it's not like go buy Yu-Gi-Oh cards and then for some reason the more cut like after 5ds which was like surprisingly dark for a Yu-Gi-Oh like because it was yeah. like oh, there's slums and orphans and poor people is like it took a turn for the adult. I was like, oh, I can grow with this show. And then Zexel went full left. I was like, what? What is this childish stuff? What happened to you? Say like, and <laughs> man, you say his design was like super dope. Like I, I, I can't like I can't front. Um, like I love the satellite. The the fact that everybody at the satellite had to go get a brand and stuff. I was like, yo, this yeah. is a really in depth story club. Yeah. Um. Oh, man. He, he looked cooler. I, I'll, I'll say it. He looks yeah. cooler than the other protagonist in the Yu-Gi-Oh! series. He, he does. Um, with the exception of, like, Atem, you know, the pharaoh. Uh, yeah. The pharaoh in his full, like, Egyptian garb. That is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Atem, yeah. Zane is also pretty cool, but he's, like, an anti-hero. I thought Zane was somebody else. Like, okay, he can stand up in character design. I'm about that. Yeah. But, like... I don't know. I, um, but yeah, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters is still the best one. Um, and then I'd rank, um, 5D's second yeah. and then GX third. Um, <laughs> Which, like I, I was really upset because GX actually never got a, um, an American ending. Like, yeah, was... the fourth season never got, uh, dubbed, um, uh, I still haven't gone back and watched the rest of it. I, I've watched bits and pieces, but I was like, I keep telling myself, it's like, bucket list, I've got to finish GX and sub. I'm, I'm actually a subbed guy. I, I prefer subbed overdub, but, uh, you know, being little, young, like, I used to watch a lot of dubbed. Yeah, I, I feel that. Like, um, for me, um, I'm more of a dubbed person. I grew up, um, you know, watching dubs, and I've still, um, I, or for certain anime, I just uh, I got a phone notification. Um, but for certain anime, um, I've definitely um, grown up watching it dubbed. Um, so 
Um, let me put my phone on vibrate. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah. so. No, I guess I, uh, I went to sub because um, it was I, I was waiting. I was impatient. Like literally, it was like I was watching Bleach and Naruto at the time, and uh, I caught up with America. And then there was so much filler. And then somebody told me, "Is like, yo, technically, there's no filler in Japan. You can just watch it all, but it's got subtitles." So I started doing that, and I just got addicted to the immediate access. So I just kept doing it. Instant gratification. Uh Um, I mean, luckily we live in a time now where simul dubs are a thing. So, like, the dubs are, like, weeks out from the sub. Um, So, like, like, you know, like, we can, like, people can bond um, just... Um, no matter which version that they see, um, you know, so I think that's a great thing. I talked about that in episode 14 of this podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, um, you know, please go do that. Um, but yeah, I definitely did. Did you get into the, the division between the, uh, subbed and dub communities and how like, yes, um, I found you for being a dub watcher. Yeah, I did. I got into that, um, and I just, you know, expressed my disdain for, you know, how pointless that mm-hmm. argument is now because, like, the dub and the sub are so close together. It's like, why are you wasting this opportunity to bond over anime over a pointless ass sub versus dub debate? Like, exactly. That it's doesn't like, get you. This doesn't get you clapped. Like, this is not. <laughs> It doesn't. It flexed on me because you're, like, a week ahead. Exactly. So, like, that's not even that much of a flex anymore. So, you know, what's the point? Um, so, speaking of dubbed and subbed, I was thinking about uh, Dragon Ball Z and Akira Toriyama, uh, you know, because, yeah, I could never do the uh, the subbed. I, I was not a fan of the actual Japanese version of Dragon Ball Z just because like I couldn't get behind the voices but what I uh, to tie it back into the, the the whole topic here uh what I love about Kira Toriyama is that like he also had that big portion in a video game anime Dragon Quest uh I, yeah. I love that uh that game it was one of the first RPGs I ever really like touched right um and speaking of Dragon Quest I believe there's a Dragon Quest anime airing right now in Japan um if I'm not mistaken, uh, the adventure of die, I think that's what it's called. Um, so it, or so if you want to go watch that, you can definitely go watch that. Um, and then, um, also I'm glad you mentioned Akira Toriyama. Cause I also used to watch, uh, blue dragon when it aired on cartoon network back in 08. Um, <laughs> and I'm mad that that a show never got, um, to air on TV in full. Um, and there were rumors of, um, like, I think like one of the four kids blocks, um, just finishing out that dub, but because of the Yu-Gi-Oh lawsuit, um, between four kids and the Japanese producers of Yu-Gi-Oh, um, you know, that never really happened or that never really got to happen because that that was such a financial hit on four kids uh, or that lawsuit was just such a financial hit on four kids that it basically forced them to or 
it was one of the reasons why four kids kind of you know just fizzled yeah. out um in the early 2010s so which was I, I was actually very curious about that i didn't know that uh it was the Yu-Gi-Oh creators that were uh that were suing them I, I i knew that they had some like legal issues or some litigation or something but i didn't know that it was the Yu-Gi-Oh producers so like uh, was it just a a a conflict over dubs like it was just um it, um it was more that four kids um wasn't really paying them um it um you know, they were like localizing the show and doing all the edits and stuff like that. But, you know, not a lot of that money would or that they would make would go back to the Japanese producers. So um, that's why um, that's why they were suing. Um, and uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh! lawsuit um, wasn't really the first instance of that. Um, you know, that was how. Uh, four kids actually lost the dub of, uh, or the dubbing rights to Pokemon. Um, and so, so yeah, um, that was something that, um, they were doing, which, you know, not a good business practice. Um, not a good business practice. You know how we like to do things, show up, we take stuff. It's like, oh, that looks good. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, the Dragon Quest series, I actually went ahead and did some, some quick research on it because I, I was interested myself. It's actually available for streaming on Hulu in the U.S., but if you have like a VPN or something like that, you can check it out on Crunchyroll because uh, it streams there in Europe, Africa, New Zealand, Latin America, a bunch of places. So there is a, it's a simulcast. Actually, it is on Crunchyroll as it looks. So Crunchyroll and Hulu. So if you haven't checked that out, I'm going to check it out for sure. There we go. You heard it here. Um, <laughs> so thank you for that, um, LJ. And um, and with that, uh, we can transition into what animated video game adaptations do we want to see? So um, I'll let you go first. Um, what animated video game adaptations do you want to see happen? Okay, for sure. Uh, I uh, mentioned earlier, uh, but mm -hmm. I definitely want to redo it uh the elder scrolls i think that uh that mm -hmm. series has so much lore and so much going on for it that i think it, it it's prime for an anime or at least a, an animated adaptation because like uh, whether you set it in skyrim or oblivion or anything like that there's a lot of opportunities to like show that the, the grisliness of the world to like animate and show these characters that we've heard about or read about in lore there's just like you don't necessarily have to follow a particular person there's just so much to go on i feel like that's a good anime that could be made okay i i could see that i could definitely see that um and um especially with um bethesda game studios um and zenimax being acquired by microsoft that wouldn't um, be outside of the realm of possibility because we have had um, Microsoft properties be animated before, um, like Halo Legends, um, which I enjoyed, um, even though I'm not really a Halo fan, <laughs> I still enjoyed it. Um, and then um, we also had, uh, I think, Viva Pinata, um, which was... Yes, um, that was on uh, Four Kids uh, TV back in the day. I was um, 
It wasn't yeah, it was, yeah. Um, and um, that was from Rare, uh, which was owned by Microsoft um, and still is owned by Microsoft. So yeah, um, that's definitely not a outside of the realm of possibility there. Um, are there any others that you would like to see? Uh, so there's that, uh, I, I, I hate to just like keep falling all over Bethesda, but, uh, Bioshock. Okay. Uh, another situation that like, I think that'd be a good horror setting for an anime. Uh, I, I was going to say Dead Space, but that's already been done. Like, they already and, and made an anime for Dead Space, but I'd like to see another one. A, a third one wouldn't, wouldn't make me too upset. <laughs> for the crappy third game, but, uh, um, all right. I think that's oh, and uh, Metroid. I thought I thought Metroid also needs a uh, an anime because Samus is a character that's stretched. Like we managed to take this chick that rolls into a ball, drop her in every Smash Brothers, put her in like multiple games. Like she was still really popular until I think what the DS died out. Right. Yeah. Um. And you know, with ooh, excuse me, with a uh, with a Metroid game. Um, you know, that's going to be released on the Switch, um, you know, sometime in the near future. Um, you know, that would definitely be, or an animated series or movie or something like that would definitely be a good way to get people, um, more engaged with that. Um, especially considering it's been like at least 10 years, I think, almost 10 years still years since last Metroid game. Right. And I mean, it's also like, there's also precedent for it. Um, like with Nintendo properties, um, they have definitely been, um, animated before. Like we've mentioned the Super Mario Brothers, um, yeah. and then Legend of Zelda. Um, and then I think Illumination is doing a Mario movie. Um, in partnership with Nintendo. Um, not really sure how I feel about Illumination doing it. Um, as opposed to like, you know, DreamWorks or Disney. Um, backing. Like, what did, what else has Illumination done? I'm trying to think of their, um, they've done like the Minions. They've done Sing. Um, uh, okay, so these are because like the weird thing about those movies, and now I'm thinking about it, I was like, they felt like off-brand DreamWorks films. Like Sing was like, okay, this could be a DreamWorks movie for sure, uh, but I, I honestly thought it was DreamWorks. Like, so. <laughs> nope, um, it's their now sister company, Illumination. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because they're all owned, uh, all in the same umbrella, I guess. Yep, they're owned by Comcast and NBC Universal. So, yeah. I think I got one more, uh, and this one is something that I think, I don't know how they've missed this and how that hasn't happened yet. Uh, Crash Bandicoot. Yes. <laughs> you took one of mine. I was going to say that one. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It's criminal that there hasn't been a Crash Bandicoot animated series like, that's such an obvious one. Um, oh, and there's one that I forgot to e even mention that um, Netflix is doing Cuphead, the animation, um, or the animated series. Uh, yeah, Netflix um, is doing a Cuphead animated series through their 
in-house animation studio, Netflix Animation. Um, so, I don't um, and it looks pretty hard. good from the visuals that I've seen of it. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I'm definitely excited for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, was that, or yeah, that's, I was think that that's, it? I think, I think I got three in. I was like, okay, that should be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I, I guess I'll go next. Um, let's see. The first one that I would like to see is definitely Kingdom Hearts. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I don't know why Disney hasn't, um, <laughs> um, considered making that, um, an anime, um, or like an animated series, but, you know, since it's Square Enix and it's a Japanese company, I would like for it to be an anime. Um, and it's not like Disney doesn't have, um, anime of, you know, other shows, um, like they've had an anime of Stitch. Um, they've had Marvel animes, I think. And they've had, yeah, exactly. And they've had, um, Marvel anime, particularly, um, like the future Avengers, Disc Wars. Um, and then also shortly after Marvel was acquired by Disney, they had like the four, um, Marvel anime, I think it was Iron Man, Blade, X-Men, and what was it? Was it Wolverine? Yeah, because I remember Wolverine. I'm remembering the character design and model and thinking, why is he so thin? Like, why yeah. did to unbulk him and make him slender like a regular Japanese like anime character? Uh-uh. I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely like to see Kingdom Hearts um, as an anime series. Um, and then next up on my list um, is Battletoads. Um, and if you've played um, the recent Battletoads game uh, that came out from uh, Microsoft and Delala Studios and Rare, shout out to all of them. Um the cutscenes in that game, um, they definitely feel like they could be from an animated series. So, like, you know, why not just take that and make a show out of it? Like, that's... Yeah, it would, exactly. It would basically be a slightly edgier Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, basically. Um, so... They're, not, they're toads, y'all. Like, <laughs> <laughs> a slightly edgier uh teenage mutant ninja turtles like i i would be down for that like oh no absolutely i don't know why that i don't know why that hasn't happened yet microsoft please 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 make that happen i don't know who you've got to write checks out to to make that happen but please make yeah. that happen <laughs> Just been around since '91, guys. Like Battletoads is over, tw- almost 30 years old. It's time. It's time. It's time. Um, oh, reading Ninja Turtles though. Now, like uh, dip off. Have you uh, been keeping up with the Last Ronin uh, or the 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 Ronin? Uh, it's the new uh, t- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic. Um, I haven't um, been keeping up with the comics. Um, 
and I've actually been like slacking on catching up on like the um recent Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles media. I still need to watch uh Rise of the TMNT because I hear that's um I hear that's pretty good. Um and mm-hmm. it, like the animation is just, you know, amazing. So I, I need to I definitely need to watch that. Um it's, and I need to... it's pretty incredible. Uh, the, the last, the last Ronin though, it's, uh, it's a, it's a comic based in the future of the team, team and T world. And essentially mm-hmm. rest of the brothers have been killed and it's one turtle, right? Uh, and it's a world where, uh, it wasn't Shredder that won. It was his daughter's, uh, son. So it's Shredder's grandson is essentially running, uh, the, the city and stuff. And there's only one turtle, and he's on this, like, quest for, for vengeance. But it opens in, like, the entire first, like, issue. You don't know which of the turtles actually survived. Like, you don't know which of the brothers this is that's going on this uh, this vengeance quest. It's gritty. It's dark. It's, it's really worth it. I would spoil who the turtle is, but I would hate to, like, rob people of that experience. If your listeners are into comics, definitely something to check out. I will definitely check that out. Now you've, you know, put that on my radar. I will definitely check that out. Um, and, um, also while we're on the subject of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, Shredder from Mortal Kombat, please. That would be so amazing, but I don't know if Nickelodeon would allow it because, you know, it's a kid's network. But, um, he'll likely like, end up in, uh, in, cause, you know, the team, the, the brothers are in Injustice, too. Exactly. That's why I, that's why I suggested it. It's like, well, there's definitely a precedent for it. Like, just make Shredder or just put, just put Shredder in Mortal Kombat. That would be nice. I just want to see that arm blade like buried in Baraka's skull or something. Like, I, I want exactly it. that. That would be so dope. Um, but yeah, um, let's see. Um, there was another one. Um, Spyro. Spyro. Oh yeah, um, how is what is up with Sony and just letting their like IPs. <laughs> chill like not even doing um activision like i don't like activision like you gotta like um i don't know what you gotta do to make a spiral animated series but please do call Um, somebody like beg and grovel because i'd watch it and i think a lot of people will watch it especially with that when they renewed like the interest spiral with skylanders and stuff like uh, it brought it to a bunch of like a new generation like i know a lot of right. like small kids that are like i love spyro but they only know spyro from like from sky lasers and i'm like come on like act- <laughs> give us kids real taste like we don't- uh I mean, I'm glad that um, Activision at least released the reignited trilogy for Spyro. Um, so, um, you know, that would be a real <laughs> introduction to Spyro. Yes. Um, like, well, like, it, look, these are remastered. They're great. Like, you don't have to look at these polygons. Play the game. Enjoy. Exactly. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I think those are my three. Um, or yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, I don't have anything else left uh, for this segment. So um, yeah, LJ, um, do you want to leave us or leave our listeners with some? Parting words before we close out this uh, segment. Absolutely, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll close it out. I was always the guy that they made like, it's like, yeah, do the closing prayer, dude. We're like, thank <laughs> grace, bro. And I'm like, I get. Like, uh, but no, I, I really appreciate you let me on, man. I, I'm happy to have this opportunity collaborate uh i love uh this kind of stuff like just being able to sit down and have a conversation with another person about all of these like crazy like intrinsic things that i'm so deep into that for the very longest time i was like i'm the black sheep because nobody else is interested in this kind of stuff nobody's right. down to talk <laughs> like so I appreciate that. Uh, I want to let everybody know, hey, look, like uh, whether you like subbed or dubbed, whether you're into like Western animation or Japanese animation, uh, you know, th this community, all of this stuff is it's great art. And uh, these are the things that you really want to be consuming and bonding over because they teach not only life lessons, but like they bring people together. That's what I feel. That is a fantastic note to close out on, and I agree with every word of that. Um, uh, and thank you, LJ, um, once again for uh, for joining me on this episode, um, on this segment. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for this topic. Uh, let me know what uh, video game adaptations that you want to see happen. Let me know which ones have been your favorites over the years, which ones uh, you liked, which ones you didn't like. Let me know all of that on social media or on Discord, and we can continue the conversation there. But, yeah, that's it for this topic, and we'll see you in the next one. Up next, we'll get into the state of Google Stadia after one year. And then after that, we'll get into what a Sony acquisition of Crunchyroll could mean for the anime industry. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Did you know that we now have a merch store? It's true. In partnership with Bonfire, we've launched the Cells and Circuits shop where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. So hit the link in the show notes to visit the Cells and Circuits shop and start getting your merch today. It really does help out the show. Thanks for your support. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. And now it's time to talk about the state of Google Stadia. And, you know, this is going to be a special one. And I'll talk about why in just a second, but let me just give a brief overview of Google Stadia before I say why this is a special segment. So Google Stadia launched in November 2019, specifically on November 19th, 2019, and it was a 
pretty rough launch. I do think Google could have improved on the communication there. And I also think that they focus way too much on the specs and stuff like that. But they didn't brand it early access because that's basically what it was. It was a paid or it was a paid beta, basically. And you had to pay the $129 for the Founders Edition or the Premier Edition at the time if you missed out on the Founders Edition. And then you also you know, had to pay for the games because the Founders Edition came with three months of Stadia Pro. And at the time of the launch in November 2019, having a Stadia Pro membership was mandatory. There was no free tier. But, and it launched with only 22 games. So there was also that. There was a limited, there was a limited library of games. But, yeah, it wasn't the greatest launch and of course the cringy ads didn't really help so yeah there were a lot of people complaining about latency and a lot of and a lot of popular gaming influencers just basically wrote it off at that point and and usually when you hear about stadia from popular gaming influencers and journalists nowadays it's usually to you know just take a pot shot at it just to increase a social media engagement and just to you know stroke their own egos but i'm not going to talk too much about that hopefully because this or this segment is special because this week, in particular, on the release day of this episode, November 19th, 2020, marks the one-year anniversary of Google Stadia's launch. So, I figured it would be a great time to talk about Google Stadia as a platform where it is now versus where it was at its launch. So I will definitely be getting into that. So yeah, first up, let's talk about some of the in or improvements that Google Stadia has made since its launch. So Google Stadia has, you know, made some, or it made a lot of improvements to the platform, you know, ever since their launch. And they've been rolling out features, especially within the past few weeks, they've rolled out quite a few features, but they've been slowly rolling out features, you know, within the past year. So I'm going to go over some of them. And first up, there's like the wireless controller connections across Android, the web, and TV via the Chromecast Ultra. And so at launch, you could only connect 
the Stadia controller wired to a laptop or to your phone. And the only way it worked wirelessly was on the Chromecast Ultra. But now it works wirelessly, you know, across mobile, web, and TV. So that's or that's great. The less wires that people have to deal with, the better. And so, yeah. Also, they've added the ability to play over 4G LTE and 5G uh, mobile data connections, which is great because, you know, people may not trust like public Wi-Fi areas or, you know, people may just have unlimited data and people don't want to be restrained to areas where they only have Wi-Fi And I talked about this on the Nintendo Switch Embracing Cloud Gaming segment in the previous episode. So if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and do that. But yeah, the ability to play over 4G LTE and 5G is great. And it was especially important that Google rolled that out because Google had two 5G phones releasing this fall, which were the uh, Pixel 4a 5G and the Pixel 5, the latter of which I will be upgrading to. So, so yeah, I mean, and during their launch night in event on September 30th of this year, they demoed Immortals Phoenix Rising running on Google Stadia on the Pixel 4a 5G. So they definitely were really pushing that. So I'm glad they got that feature out. And then next up is more games were being added or more games are being added to the Stadia Pro subscription on a monthly basis. So at launch or in the few months after launch, we were getting like maybe one or two Stadia Pro games, but now we're getting like five or six roughly at or for each month. And they usually roll out, you know, at the beginning of each month, similar to Xbox games with gold and PlayStation Plus, but Now, yeah, Google Stadia has like five to six games coming in to Stadia Pro on a monthly basis. So that's great to see, especially if you're a Stadia Pro member because you get, you know, free games. So that's great to see. And you get to claim them. So if you claim your pro games on a on a Stadia Pro subscription, and you keep that subscription alive, there's or those games do not rotate out if you claim them. So that's something that sets it apart from Xbox Game Pass and Amazon Luna and PlayStation Plus, where those games do rotate out and you don't get to claim them. Stadia offers an option to claim those games. So that's great to see. And I think that's an important thing to to keep note of. And 
let's see next up is achievements so so google stadia launched achievements i believe sometime earlier this year like very early in 2020 they launched achievements and that's a feature like i've said before on this podcast that's a feature that the nintendo switch still doesn't have and that console is almost four years old so it's awesome that google stadia is adding the achievements i think that's a pretty important feature to add in gaming like xbox has achievements playstation has achievements steam has achievements so i think Adding achievements is a very important feature, and I'm glad Stadia has it. And then one feature that they've rolled out recently was family sharing. So if you purchase a game and you have other people in your Google accounts family link, you can actually share games that either you've purchased or even Stadia Pro games that you have with a pro subscription through your Google account on the web. So that's awesome, especially for people with kids. And I mean, even though I don't have kids, like I could share games with my girlfriend and, you know, we don't have to pay end up paying for two licenses of the game so that's great to see i'm glad that google added that feature because that is an awesome feature to have just and it gets more people to try stadia and i think that's very important and then next up is capture sharing so that's another recent one so if you go into the Google Stadia app on your phone or tablet, provided you have an Android uh, phone or tablet, you can go into the Stadia app and you can share captures to social media via a link. And once you, and once you click that link on your social media page, it'll take you to the either the picture or the video that was captured. So that is awesome to see. I'm glad it came within the first year of Google Stadia. And then next up is profile pages. So now you can um, go to someone's profile page on Google Stadia. And while we don't have vanity URLs yet, It is nice to see that you can view someone's stats on Google Stadia. You can view someone's achievements. If they allow you to see their achievements, you can view their friends list and so on and so forth. Kind of like how Xbox and PlayStation do it. So I think that's pretty great to see. And I hope that we get vanity URLs at some point. And I also hope that this works on phones and the Chromecast Ultra because the only way you can access this feature is through the web, but I'm sure that'll come in due time. Next up is messaging. 
So, yeah, I know there's going to be the whole or all those jokes about Google and messaging apps, but it is good to see that Google added messaging to Stadia. Messaging is very important in gaming. And again, that's a feature that the Nintendo Switch doesn't have. So Nintendo, I I don't know what y'all are doing, but y'all like y'all are letting Google show y'all up. So y'all may want to get your shit together. Nintendo, just just saying, letting the platform that's one year old show you up. But Anyway, yeah, messaging, you can type messages to people, and I mean, you know, that's that's a great thing. What can I say? I mean, that's, that's awesome. And then next up is the free tier that launched in April, I believe, and that basically kicks in if you let your Stadia Pro subscription lapse. But now I think it also just kicks in if you just don't want to pay for Pro. So that's great to see. And hopefully it'll get more and more people to at least consider Stadia since there's no or since there's no monetary investment that they would have to or that they would or that would serve as a barrier to entry, you know, besides the games. But other than that, like the platform is is free. I mean, like you don't have to have a Stadia Pro subscription to try it out. I know that's a myth that popular gaming influencers and journalists have spread, but that's not true. There is a free tier of Stadia and it bumps you down to 1080p. And of course, you don't get any of the games that are included with a Stadia Pro subscription. You just buy every game a la carte. So, yeah, like, I mean, but a free tier with basically. What I would say is similar to an Xbox Series S. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Like a free console with Xbox Series S-esque performance. I think that's pretty awesome. Now, granted, you know, unlike the Xbox Series S, I mean, Stadia free tier, you know, limits you to 1080p, whereas the Series S goes up to 1440p, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. I mean, especially if you're using it on a TV, there are no TVs with 1440p display output, so, yeah. And then, last but not least, Of course, the biggest thing when it comes to a gaming platform is content. And I'm glad to say that Google Stadia has crossed the 100 game mark. So now there are over 100 games on Google Stadia versus the 22 that were at launch. So that's wonderful to see too. I'm glad that I'm glad that Stadia 
is really getting developers on board. They've been, I know they've been hustling to get a lot of developers on board. And while we're on the subject of getting developers on board, at the time of recording this, I just recently came across information that's really important because according to Cloudy with a Chance of Games, which I will have that article linked in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're on. But um, according to Cloudy with a Chance of Games, there was a Capcom data leak that announced that that Google is actually paying Capcom to port Resident Evil 7 and 8 to Google Stadia. So, and that's great because Capcom is one of the few big game companies that's left to, or that has yet to release a game on Google Stadia. So we could very well see Capcom making their debut on Google Stadia very soon. So that's wonderful to see. I'm glad that, or I'm glad that Capcom, or if this leak is true, I'm glad to see that that Capcom is finally coming to Google Stadia. And it also shows that Google is willing to invest money into Google Stadia to the tune of millions of dollars, maybe even tens of millions of dollars. So I don't think Google Stadia is going anywhere. So if you're one of those people who thought, oh, Google will just cancel it in two years like they have with Allo and Google Play Music recently and stuff like that. I don't think that's the case. And these Capcom leaks, if you trust them, which I do, they seem to show that Google is investing like millions of dollars into getting games on Stadia. So I don't think that Stadia is going anywhere anytime soon. So, yeah. Next up, I'm going to just go into like some of the other things that may have happened. And I apologize if you hear police sirens in the background. But anyway, so other things that have happened include the Typhoon Studios acquisition. So Google Stadia has first party studios that are working on games for the platform that'll be that'll presumably be exclusive to the platform and that can harness the um, power of the cloud and utilize that in an effective way within games so i think that'll be really awesome to see so yeah google acquired typhoon studios in i believe December of last year, so not very long after launch. And yeah, Typhoon Studios is now 
basically rebranded into Stadia Games and Entertainment Montreal. So that so that's great to see that Google's not only spending money on getting individual third-party developers on board, but also investing in making first-party games for the platform as other platforms also have uh, first-party support like PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo. They all have first-party studios under their belt. And we will likely see more. And speaking of more, there was another Stadia Games and Entertainment studio that was founded earlier this year in 2020, which is for, and I guess since that, since that studio doesn't officially have a name yet, I'm just going to call it Stadia Games and Entertainment Playa Vista because that's where it is in Playa Vista, California. So SGE Playa Vista, that studio was founded and it's headed by Shannon Studstill, who was formerly employed by Sony. And so she was one of the people behind the Santa Monica studio. And particularly, she was involved in making God of War for the PlayStation. So it'll be really awesome to see what her studio has planned for Stadia in the long term. So I'm excited for that because God of War was such a well-regarded game, or it still is such a well-regarded game. And people are very much looking forward to the sequel that'll be on PS5 at some point. But, but yeah, having someone, having an industry veteran like Shannon Studstill I think that definitely brings some pedigree to SGE Playa Vista. And I would really like to see what that studio puts out in the future. And so next up, I do want to talk about the growth opportunities that Stadia has. Because yes, while they've made some improvements... There's still some areas where I still think that they need to improve. And first up is the fact that there isn't a search bar <laughs> in Stadia, which, you know, is Google. Like, why would there not be a search bar? Like, search is what made Google Google. So, I mean, that's just, it's... And it's a long-running joke within the Stadia community. Just, like, yeah. <laughs> Add a search bar to Google Stadia, please. Especially now that there are over 100 games on the platform. I think a search bar would very much help in trying to find the game that you want to play or the, the game that you want to buy. That would definitely help things. Next up is... Android TV support. So, yeah, Google caught a lot of criticism and a lot of, and most of it being unfair because those same people didn't 
criticize Microsoft. And if you want to, and if you want to listen to me rant about that, I did so in episode 17, I believe. So go check that out. But in the meantime, let me just talk about, yeah, Google just didn't launch the Chromecast with Google TV with a Stadia app on it. There was no Stadia logo on the packaging. So, so, you know, so gaming journalists and influencers were quick to pounce on Google for that. And yeah, is it not a good look? Sure. But I mean, it wasn't ready and and Android TV support will come within the first half of 2021. So, so hopefully we don't have too much longer to wait until then. I do hope that it comes within or at least within the first quarter of 2021. So, you know, before April, but you know, I'm not pressed and I mean, my Chromecast Ultra works fine. Like, I can just continue to play on that until Stadia support is officially on Android TV. But yeah, that's definitely a growth area. And especially since um, a competitor like Amazon Luna came out of the gate with Fire TV support, that also is... Not a very good look on Stadia's part, but yeah, Android TV support, it's coming, just have to be patient. And then another thing that Google could improve on is the country support. So now, granted, I will give Google credit, they did launch in 14 countries, so that's more than some of their competitors have been doing, but But yeah, I do think that Google could definitely improve the country support and I I do think that they should expand it to more countries because if they want to target the next billion gamers, they would have to or they would have to expand into countries particularly in regions like Africa and Latin America, especially where like those, those parts of the world where, or, or regions like Africa and Latin America, where people's phones are their primary computers. And sometimes, or most times their only computers. I think a service like Google Stadia would definitely work in that sort of environment. So I'm hoping that expanded country support comes soon. Yeah. And then next up is iOS and iPadOS support via a progressive web app or PWA. So I do think that Google Stadia should have a progressive web app um, on iOS and iPadOS just to get past Apple's ridiculous 
app store guidelines like those definitely need to die but but yeah like if you or if google is serious and it wants people to play on their phones and tablets especially here in the u.s where the iphone and ipad are pretty dominant in phone and tablet sales respectively I do think that iOS and iPadOS support should definitely be like close to the top, if not at the top of the priority for, you know, features to roll out. And then next up is more developers. There are still gaps in developer support, and it looks like one of those gaps is um, closing up. So. And that's, of course, the Capcom one with with the Resident Evil series. And we recently also got Sega on board with with Humankind. So or with the demo of Humankind. So we know that that's coming to PC and Stadia next year once it comes out of early access. So that's great to see. And I hope that especially developers like Epic Games kind of bury the hatchet on the Stadia side of Google and, you know, just leave the Play Store stuff in the Play Store. But we'll see, because I would really like for Rocket League to come to Stadia and also Fortnite, you know, even though I don't play Fortnite it would be a game that would draw people to the platform. So, so yeah. And then last but not least, like that brings me to my last point is free to play games. So right now, Stadia doesn't have any free to play games on the platform. And I think that's something that should definitely change, especially if they want people to play on the platform or to try it out without any sort of financial investment. I think that, or I think that adding free to play games would definitely, would definitely, you know, lower the barrier to entry and, you know, make people say, oh, well, you know, what do I have to lose? So that's just, or that's, those are just my opinions on the growth opportunities. And then next up is like, I want to get into what the founders have received since launch. So if you were a Stadia founder like I am, then, and you haven't let your subscription lapse, then you'd know that Stadia founders have received over 50 pro games. So that's like over half the library of Google Stadia. They're basically just giving it out to you for free if you have a Stadia Pro subscription. And then also you've only paid for seven months of pro because at the beginning, there were three months of pro that were free. And then also we got two more months in April when 
or at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic and the launch of the free tier, everyone got two free months of pro. So that was nice. And so that's already five months. And that's if you don't have things like a Chromebook where you get three additional months of pro, which I have. So, you know, at the, so like, so in the worst case scenario for founders, you've only had to pay for seven months of pro since launch. And for $70, you've gotten over 50 pro games worth over a thousand US dollars in value. So that's, that's a pretty insane amount of value and is definitely worth it, especially once you claim pro games every month and they don't rotate out. Your pro library has just been building up to over 50 games. So I think that's amazing. That just proves the value of a Stadia Pro membership, in my opinion. And so, yeah, I do think that, or I should say, there is a video from Bryant Chappelle of the Nerf Report, which if you haven't watched the Nerf Report, please do. I've linked that video that he did about Stadia's one year anniversary in the show notes, but He did an excellent job of explaining what Stadia founders have gotten and how the platform has grown over the one year that it's been out. So do check out that video and also subscribe to his channel, The Nerf Report, on YouTube because like that guy puts out a lot of great content and it's It's a crime that his channel has as little subscribers that it does. So, so yeah, please subscribe to the Nerf Report on YouTube. Anyway, last but not least, I mean, I've been talking for over like 40 minutes at this point. So last but not least, I want to just get into what the future holds for Google Stadia. So... First up, we can get into exclusive games. Like, or I should say, in July during the Stadia Connect, there was a announcement where Stadia had um, announced that they were going to be partnering with some studios for exclusive games to the platform. So they're partnering with Splash Damage um, for the Outcasters game, which I'm very excited for, and I would like to know a release date at some point. So Splash Damage or Google, if y'all can announce a release date, that would be great. Um, Another studio is Harmonix, which I believe they are the studio behind the Rock Band franchise. I believe so. If I'm wrong, you can correct me on social media. And then there's Supermassive Games and Uppercut Games. And and we've already seen what the partnerships have done for Stadia, especially with Orcs Must Die 3, which was 
Stadia Games and Entertainment's first first party published release. So that's great to see. So I want to know what the partnerships with Splash Damage, Harmonix, Supermassive Games, and Uppercut Games will also bring to the platform. And I hope those games will be great. And then also in the exclusive games category, I would also like to see what the first party studios of Stadia Games and Entertainment are working on, particularly Stadia Games and Entertainment Montreal, which they already had a team over there, but it got expanded once Google bought out Typhoon Studios. And even though the creative director of of what was previously known as Typhoon Studios may have made some not so great comments last month in regards to streamers and what they have to pay or and if they should pay for a license to stream and whatnot. Despite all of that, I still do want to see what that state or what that studio is working on i do think that if it's or i should say hopefully it'll be as good as if not even better or even like way better than uh journey to the savage planet because typhoon studios that was the last game that Typhoon Studios worked on before they were bought out by Google. So, yeah, I do want to see that. I do want to see what SGE Montreal is working on. And like I mentioned earlier, I also want to see what SGE Playa Vista is working on, especially with Shannon Stud still at the helm. So, yeah. I'll be very interested in seeing what Stadia's first-party studios um, have to offer. And I do hope that they bring more first-party studios into the fold, whether they build some up from scratch or they acquire studios. I do. I just want to have, or I just want to know that the first party team of Stadia Games and Entertainment is expanding. And yeah, I do hope that they open up some uh, first party studios, maybe even in other parts of the world that largely get ignored by the gaming community. Particularly, I would like to see or I would like to see some first party studios in maybe Africa or some like that or maybe or maybe like first party studios based in like the Middle East or first party studios based in Latin America or or some like that. I do think that that those regions of the world are definitely capable of making very good games and i would like to see and i would like to see companies definitely given the spotlight on those regions of the world because i think they get ignored way too much 
Anyway, but that was just me, or that was just me getting off topic for a little bit. And last but not least, another thing that I think the, or that feature holds for Google Stadia is server hardware upgrades. And so with, and so with, with these server hardware upgrades, or because you don't have to own a physical console, to use Stadia, all of the upgrades are done in the cloud. So once the better server hardware comes in and they can replace the blades that they currently have, I think that Stadia will be on par with, if not better than the new generation of consoles, the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5. So I do hope to see something like that. And especially since they've had talks about in the future upgrading the upgrading the server blades to be capable of 8K 120 FPS. So that's something I would like to see. Anyway, happy one year anniversary to Google Stadia. Phil Harrison, Jade Raymond and everyone else on the team. Um, congratulations for all your hard work over the past year and has definitely not been in vain. What do you think of Google Stadia? Do you think that the platform has progressed enough in one year for you to be able or for you to be willing to try it? Do you think that do you think that cloud gaming is just a fad? Do you think that cloud gaming is here to stay? What do you want from Stadia in the near or far future? Let me know all of those things on social media or on Discord and we can continue the conversation there. But yeah, that is going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be getting into what a Sony acquisition of Crunchyroll could mean for the anime industry. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Want to support the show without having to buy any merch? Well, you can do that by buying us a coffee. All it takes is just one U.S. dollar to help support the show. So click the link in the show notes or go to ko-fi.com slash cells and circuits to help make the cells and circuits podcast a better show for you. Are you a small business looking for a financial platform to do business on? Check out Payment the first black-owned financial platform where you can do things like sending invoices, accepting payments, and more features will be added in the future. If you watch Trigger Warning with Killer Mike on Netflix, you know that money stays within the black community for an average of six hours compared to the days and sometimes weeks that other communities get. So if you want to bring or keep money in the black community, join Payment, that's P-E-Y-M-Y-N-T, at the affiliate link in the show notes today. Welcome back, 
and now it's time to talk about what a Sony acquisition of Crunchyroll could mean for the anime industry. So, what caused um, this talk of a Sony acquisition of Crunchyroll? Because um, a couple weeks ago, it was announced that Sony would be or is in final talks of acquiring Crunchyroll. Now, the deal hasn't been finalized yet, and if the deal is final, or if once the deal becomes finalized, it'll probably take a few months or up to a year, maybe even beyond that, for the deal to close or for the acquisition to close. So, um, so we don't know. Um, but what caused this, um, or what may have caused this, um, potential acquisition? Well, AT&T, the current owner of Crunchyroll, uh, via Warner Media, which is formerly known as Time Warner, um, AT&T is one of the most indebted companies in the world. So I think they owe something from, or, you know, to the tune of like over a hundred billion dollars. So that's a lot of debt to, um, (laughs) to owe. So yeah, they're trying to, um, eliminate some of that debt and, um, And one of the ways that they're trying to do that um, is to offload businesses that they don't feel are, um, I guess, essential to the core business of AT&T. So, um, and I guess they've deemed Crunchyroll one of those businesses. Now, I mean, I may not agree with that, but but it is what it is. Um, and, um, Sony, um, Sony already owns, um, quite a bit of anime companies. They own Aniplex, which produces, um, a lot of anime, but also distributes, um, a lot of anime outside of Japan, um, through various companies, and we'll get to that in a, in a bit. Um, they also, um, acquired Funimation a few years back in 2017, I believe. So, uh, Sony is a pretty big company, um, within the anime distribution market. So, um, we're definitely going to be talking about, um, you know, what anime companies Sony already owns and, um, the pros and cons of adding Crunchyroll into the Sony fold and the unknowns, um, that, or, or that'll come with this acquisition. Uh, so, um, let's go into Um, the anime distribution companies that 
Sony already owns. So, um, like I just said, Sony owns Aniplex, um, which produces anime in Japan, um, and, um, through certain subsidiaries, um, across the world, they, um, or they, they distribute anime. Um, so, like, Aniplex owns Madman Entertainment in Australia, and they own Wakanim, or is it Wakanim? Um, if you're in a European country where, uh, where that, um, where that anime company operates, let me know how to pronounce it on social media. Um, anyway, um, and Fun Funimation is also part of the Sony fold. Uh, they joined in 2017. Um, and shortly after that, um, Funimation bought out um, Manga Entertainment UK, um, so so that um, became part of Sony as well, um, and um, I believe it was either last year or 2018, I can't remember, but uh, Sony announced that they were basically combining all of their anime distribution companies outside of Japan into one um, global uh, conglomerate called the Funimation Global Group. So that consists of Madman Entertainment, Wakanim, Funimation, and Manga Entertainment UK. Um, so, yeah. Um, so it definitely seems like Sony um, was very focused on expanding Funimation's reach in the world of anime outside of the U.S. borders. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty nice to see. Um, and we're also um, about to see Funimation expand into Mexico and Brazil next month at the time of this recording. So that's also nice to see. Um, but yeah, um, we can get into, or now we can get into the pros and cons of Crunchyroll entering the Sony fold. So, um, we can start off with the pros. Um, so some benefits of this acquisition could be that um, dubs could possibly be made faster. Um, now, Crunchyroll isn't on the level of Funimation where they just um, pump out dubs like it's nobody's business, but they're definitely getting there. And Crunchyroll, especially after um, splitting off with Funimation in 2018, I believe, um, they definitely, um, have improved their, um, dubbing capabilities, but, um, but with a Sony acquisition and, um, Funimation and Crunchyroll being under the same roof, um, Funimation, or I mean, Crunchyroll 
could then have access to Funimation's dubbing pipelines and um, being heard, they'd be able to possibly um, make dubs faster if uh, Sony plays its cards right um, and uh, integrates both Funimation and Crunchyroll together. Um, And then another benefit is that more of Crunchyroll's catalog could make it to home video. So um, even though streaming is becoming the norm um, for entertainment consumption, um, a lot of people, especially anime fans, really like to own um, physical copies of their anime because the streaming world is so volatile that, um, you know, companies can lose rights to things at any moment. So, um, the only way to, uh, get around that is to own a physical copy of your, um, of your anime. Um, and so, um, Crunchyroll has definitely, um, been one of those companies that didn't have, um, direct access to, um, a home video, um, uh, distribution arm, um, until they eventually partnered up with Funimation, um, and, All of a sudden, we started to see more and more of Crunchyroll's catalog make it to home video. Um, And then after Funimation and Crunchyroll split up, um, that was when um, Crunchyroll then um, went to Sentai. um, And so um, it brings... And so the, um, so the Sony acquisition of Crunchyroll, if that were to happen, um, that would basically bring, uh, Crunchyroll back into the, um, Funimation, um, or it would basically, um, allow Crunchyroll to regain access to Funimation's home video distribution pipelines and um that will allow more and more of Crunchyroll's um catalog to be um available for home video um in the form of Blu-rays and DVDs and stuff like that. So um that would be um pretty or that would be a pretty good benefit um, for customers. Um, another benefit is that, um, with Sony owning both Crunchyroll and Funimation, um, and trying to integrate both of them together, um, that would mean that, um, it would be more convenient. Excuse me. It would be more convenient for consumers to watch most of their anime through one streaming service rather than having to manage 
two or three uh, streaming services. They could just do it through one. Um, and that one's a double-edged sword, and we can get into that later in the con section. But, but yeah, it would be more convenient for uh, consumers to just be able to watch um, most of their... Uh, most of the anime that um, they want to watch through just one streaming service. Um, and last but not least, under the pros, um, there's a possibility of more Crunchyroll titles making it to television, um, particularly Toonami here in the United States um, on Adult Swim. Um, and so... Despite Crunchyroll being um, owned by Warner Media and essentially being a sister company to Adult Swim, um, they've had a lot of difficulty trying to get, or Adult Swim has had some difficulties in trying to get um, some Crunchyroll anime and. The best example of this um, is Mob Psycho 100 Season 2. Um, Toonami ran all of Mob Psycho 100 Season 1, um, but um, they weren't able to run uh, Season 2 because of the complexities between the previous... Funimation Crunchyroll deal, um, and this was back when Funimation, or, or this is, you know, when Funimation and Crunchyroll were partnered up, but were still separate companies, and so, um, if Sony were to acquire Crunchyroll, and both of those companies, or Funimation and Crunchyroll would be under the same company, then it could possibly untangle those um, those rights um, and making it easier for Mob Psycho 100 Season 2 and possibly other Crunchyroll shows to make it onto uh, television via Toonami or wherever else. So... Um, so that's definitely a possibility, um, and that, that could be a potential benefit of Sony acquiring Crunchyroll. Um, but yeah, those are the pros that I thought of. There are probably more, um, but let's get into some of the potential cons of Crunchyroll, um, being added into the Sony fold. So... First up is that uh, licensing fees would most definitely increase between distributors. So, um, so if, um, say, um, Crunchyroll, um, Funimation, or Netflix, or Amazon um, wants to license an anime that they didn't um, produce... Um, they have to pay the Japanese dist um, distributor a licensing fee. But since 
um, Funimation and Crunchyroll will probably be combined into one company under Sony. Um, that means one less competitor um, is um, fighting for the rights, um, causing uh, licensing fees to increase because there are less um, there are less players um, fighting for those rights, and um, we see um, what happens when there are less and less. Uh, competitors in a field, particularly um, with all of these big media acquisitions um, with like Disney Fox, with um, Comcast, NBC Universal, with AT&T, Time Warner, with uh, Viacom, CBS. Um, all of those uh, mergers and acquisitions have... Um, cause the prices of especially internet-based live TV here in the U.S. to go up. Um, so now um, a live TV service that I'm subscribed to, YouTube TV, um, now costs $65 a month when it used to cost only... Um, like $35 a month at one point. Um, but, um, those prices kept on going up and why? Because less and less, um, players own more and more channels. Um, and that's the same thing that happens here. Uh, less distributors own or will own more anime. So, um, if Funimation and Crunchyroll were to combine into one company under Sony, um, that means Sony would own a pretty large chunk of anime, <laughs> uh, giving them more uh, leverage in um, licensing deals. So, so that will definitely be. Or so licensing fees going up would definitely be um, a con, and that, and you know, and with the prices of uh, subscriptions going up, um, it's not um, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that um, you know we the consumers would probably um, be the ones end up or to end up paying for those higher licensing fees in in the form of increased uh, prices for anime streaming service subscriptions. Um, so so yeah, there's that. Um, and then next up is um, existing partnerships. Um, or existing Crunchyroll partnerships with Sentai will probably be terminated considering um, that um, if a Sony acquisition of Crunchyroll um, were to happen, that means uh, Crunchyroll would have direct corporate ties to Funimation. Um, and Funimation and Sentai haven't really gotten along Um in um previous or 
in the past. Um, I don't think they get along now. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't think they get along now. So, um, so a Sony acquisition of Crunchyroll would definitely hurt Sentai because I imagine um, that uh, partnership with Crunchyroll probably brought in you know some significant amount of income for Sentai, so that would be a lost source of income for Sentai. Um, and then uh, next up is uh, less opportunities for voice actors. Um, so if, um, ooh, sorry about that. So if um, Sony were to acquire Crunchyroll um, and let's say a voice actor um, gets... Um, terminated from um a certain company um there are less there are less places that that voice actor could go um because there are less competitors um so you know that's something to think about um and then um next up is that um between Funimation and Crunchyroll there can only be one. And what I mean is that um, if Sony were to acquire Crunchyroll, since uh, Sony already owns Funimation, um, and there's a lot of overlap between the two, um, it would make sense for Sony to um, combine Funimation and Crunchyroll into one company. Um, now, um, which name that company, um, would go by is, um, up in the air. Um, it could potentially be Funimation considering that, uh, Sony has already made, um, quite a bit of, or made a lot of moves with the Funimation name, so... It would make sense um, from a branding and a cost standpoint to just keep it Funimation um, and not really and just let the Crunchyroll brand go away like um, but that would suck um, <laughs> because Crunchyroll has definitely gained a lot of respect um, in the anime community over the years um, so um, just the potential of seeing one of those brands, either Funimation or Crunchyroll going away, um, is pretty sad because both of them have definitely earned the respect of anime fans, um, in the time that these companies have existed. And related to, um, related to, um, the elimination of one of the brands, um, Funimation and Crunchyroll, um, with every, um, merger and acquisition, there's always the big, um, question of layoffs, um, 
And since there's a lot of overlap between uh, Funimation and Crunchyroll, um, there are most likely going to be layoffs. Um, I could definitely see that happening. So, um, so a lot of jobs will will be going away from uh, from the newly enlarged Sony. So, um, I. I could definitely see that happening. Um, so those are the cons that I thought of. Um, and um, last but not least, we can get into the unknowns. Um, and so first up in the unknowns category is the future of non-Studio Ghibli anime on HBO Max. Um, so, um, since Crunchyroll is owned by Warner Media, um, it has, right now, um, it has a dedicated, uh, collection on HBO Max, um, and it's a curated collection, it's definitely not Crunchyroll's full catalog, um, but, um, but what would a Sony acquisition of Crunchyroll uh, mean for all of those anime on HBO Max? Will those anime continue to be on HBO Max? Because Sony, uh, through Funimation, already has a partnership with Hulu here in the U.S. So um, would that mean that um, if Sony were to acquire Crunchyroll... Um, that the Crunchyroll collection on HBO Max would just go away. Um, we don't know. Um, that's um, that's something that's up in the air. Um, and I guess we'd have to wait and see once that uh, or if that deal um, finalizes. Um, and then next up in the unknowns is. Uh, the future of Verve. So Verve, um, spelled V-R-V, um, is a U.S. streaming service. Um, it's not international yet. Um, and we don't know if it will be or if it'll ever be, um, because, uh, the future of Verve would definitely be unknown, um, if, um, Sony were to acquire, uh, Crunchyroll because uh, Verve is made by Crunchyroll and um, it's a um, streaming service kind of like it's an aggregation of certain streaming services so you have like channels um, that you can uh, subscribe to either a la carte or you can have the combo pack which is 10 US dollars a month, which is way cheaper than subscribing to each uh, channel individually. And the channels that Verve has include, of course, Crunchyroll, um, but then there's also High Dive. Um, there's the uh, Nick channel. Um, I forget if it's called Nick Splat or Nick Rewind. Um, 
and then there's Boomerang, there's Shudder, there's Rooster Teeth, and like there are more. Um, but we don't know um, whether or not um, Verve will continue to exist um, as we know it today, um, simply because some of those. Um, some of Verve's uh, channels um, are dependent on um, Verve being um, owned by Warner Media. So, um, so yeah, we don't really know um, whether or not. Um, Verve will have a future um, as it is today. Um, we don't know if it would have a future under Sony. Um, that's something we'd have to wait and see on. Um, but then next up is uh, the future of Crunchyroll's production partnerships. Um, and Crunchyroll right now has... Um, production partnerships with uh, Webtoon um, that they announced um, earlier this year. Excuse me. Um, they also announced um, partnerships with um, Adult Swim um, for certain shows like Blade Runner, um, Fena Pirate Princess, uh, Shenmue the Animation, and others. So, um, we don't know what the future of those partnerships will be. Um, we don't know if Sony will continue to honor those partnerships. Um, I do, um, or I should say that uh, Jason DeMarco, the co-creator of Toonami, um, had said that um, it would be um, doubtful that Sony, um, or that the acquisition of um, Crunchyroll would um, affect the partnerships that um, Crunchyroll already has with Adult Swim. So, um, yeah, it's something that, um, we would definitely have to wait and see on. And then also, um, the future of Crunchyroll Studios is also in question because, um, we don't know what Sony's plans for Crunchyroll are, um, and whether or not, uh, Sony even wants to uh, produce its own um, Western animation um, under the Crunchyroll Studios brand, or even if Crunchyroll Studios would um, exist um, as Crunchyroll Studios, they could rebrand it um, to maybe Funimation Studios. Um, simply because Sony has already done a lot with the Funimation name. So, um, so it's possible that, um, Crunchyroll Studios could, you know, either be shut down or Crunchyroll Studios could continue to operate as is, 
or um, Crunchyroll Studios um, could be rebranded into Funimation Studios um, and maybe um, produce different um, different types of content. Who knows? Um, I sure as hell don't. Um, but um, one last thing that um, I want to mention in the unknowns is that um, is that we don't know if Sony um, is going to be acquiring all of Otter Media, which consists of Crunchyroll, Rooster Teeth, um, and Full Screen along with other companies, um, and Otter Media is a part of Warner Media. So we don't know if Sony um, is even interested in the rest of Otter Media, um, or if, and if they are, like, what would they do with companies like Rooster Teeth and Full Screen and um, the other companies that Otter Media owns? We don't know. Um, so, um, I think, or personally, I think that, um, Sony would just only be buying Crunchyroll, but I don't know. Um, um, it's possible that they could acquire all of Otter Media, um, but we just don't know that yet. Um, and so, um, we'll just have to wait and see on everything um that was just uh said in this segment of course take this um with a grain of salt because the sony acquisition of crunchyroll at the time of this recording has not happened yet um there has not been a finalized agreement for sony to acquire crunchyroll um and when that does or if that does get announced, um, you'll definitely see updates, um, from me on, uh, on the cells and circuits, social media, and on my own Twitter account, um, at Chibese Anacor. Um, so, uh, check that out at the link in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're on. And yeah, um, we can continue the, um, we can continue the conversation. What do you think, um, of Sony acquiring Crunchyroll? Do you think it's good for the anime industry? Do you think it's bad for the anime industry? Do you not care? Um, let me know what you think on social media or on discord and we can continue the conversation there but yeah um that is going to do it for this topic sandra bland terence crutcher trayvon martin philando castile mike brown alton sterling Ahmad Arbery, Walter Scott, Brianna Taylor, Eric Harris, George Floyd, Tony Robinson, Keith Childress, Romaine Brisbane,
Betty Jones, Tamir Rice, Kevin Matthews, Laquan McDonald, Michael Noel, Michael Brown Jr., Roy Nelson, Eric Garner. These are just some of the names of people who have been murdered by police and have gotten either a slap on the wrist or have gotten away with committing such a heinous crime scot-free. If you are an American, or even if you're not an American, you should be outraged by this, as I am. This cannot continue to happen, and it speaks to a very long history of racism and police brutality here in the United States of America, and also in other countries as well. Police brutality is not a U.S. exclusive problem. It's happening around the globe. So, how can you help stop this? Well, you can go and protest, but be very peaceful about it, of course. And if you don't want to go to the protests, that's fine. You can also donate to many different charities that are helping with the cause. If you can't do that, you can also sign petitions to help the cause as well and share those petitions. And for all of these suggestions that I've made, you can do all of them and encourage your friends and family to do the same because Staying silent is staying complicit, and we cannot stay complicit any longer. This change needs to happen now. And so, I just want to leave you with this message. Black lives matter, always and forever. All lives cannot matter until black lives matter. Remember that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cells and Circuits podcast. Remember to wear a mask, wash your hands, and practice social distancing as much as possible. Also, if you want to follow us on social media, I'll have a link in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're on. And that's it. Our intro and outro music is made by Tiffy3. I'm Chibeze Anapur, signing off.